We're turning some bros into barbarians, but our triangle of sadness forces us to ask, Doctor, who am I? Far as I know, I'm Van Connor. And I'm Adam Ball, and this is Off Screen, your seven-day guide to everything movies. Reboot! So, welcome to the show, and uh, we are going to start with some brand new movies that are out this week. So, Van, talk to me about bros. What's it all about? Do you know what? I've been really looking forward to talking about bros. So, okay, bros is... Do you remember a while a while back on a diff- on an actual different radio station, you and I talked about a film called Happiest Season, and it was the first, like, proper studio-released uh gay, uh, LGBT-friendly, you know, involving actual gay characters, holiday movie. Well, now we have the first actual studio gay male rom-com, written by uh, written by and starring Billy Eichner. It's uh, directed by Nick Stoller, who gave us I Love You Man, The Muppets, things like that, um, and Luke McFarlane co-stars. And the idea is uh, you've got uh, Billy Eichner's character. Do you know Billy Eichner at all from his work? Uh, he does Billy on the Street on TV. You might have seen the clips. No, no, I've I've no idea who or what he is. Right, okay, he's uh, he's a comedian known primarily, I think, for Billy on the Street and roles in Parks and Recreation, a few few small comedy parts like that. But he's one of those faces you know from different things. He's been around for what feels like so long now, and just a permanent presence on YouTube. Now he's finally getting his shot at you know the big film role. Um, he's he gets to drive this as well. It's got a sort of Judd Apatow kind of feeling looming over it in the way that Trainwreck did a few years ago, five or six years ago as well with Amy Schumer. Uh, Eichner plays uh, a, a man who who starts out as a podcaster, running runs a, a successful podcast, and then gets hired as the director of the first LGBT museum in New York. As he's settling into this new role, he finds himself, he comes across um, a a man in a club one night, played by Luke McFarlane, who isn't really his type. Like, he's more of an athletic type, and Billy Eichner's character is more of a sort of, ah, woe is me, kind of, you know, focusing on the minutia type. They are complete opposites, but they're drawn to one another. A friendship starts, and a bond starts with, they find themselves entering into this relationship. And the idea is, if if you know that you're not right for one another, should you make a go of it anyway? It just so happens all of this happens to be taking place within the first, you know, I say first, but the first proper mainstream studio gay rom-com. Have a listen. What if the final exhibit was a recreation of a queer wedding? I like that. Okay, that I don't have. Tomorrow, that is so That's sweet. Good. I love that. And people can come and register for wedding gifts here. Gonna write that oh my God, and no! That is old fashioned heteronormative nonsense. We need to get people to rethink history through a queer prism, not comfort them with another gay wedding, all right? It's a museum, it's not Shit's Creek. Oh, I like Shit's Creek. I, oh, I Creek. love Shit's Creek. That show has oh, layers. Right. Everyone loves Shit's Creek, great, okay. That's who you remind me of. Eugene Levy. This is the kind of movie I would love to watch. This I love all these kinds of of uh, I don't even know how you'd how you'd um, frame it, but I just love the kind of movies that you can take something from at the same time. I'm glad I'm glad you said that. There's one thing I, I was really excited about with this um, was was the LGBT element because I'm a huge rom com guy. You, you know this about me. I love yeah, a yeah. rom com. And it's not a genre that really ever gets to do anything new. And as sad as it sounds, this actually does qualify as new for the realm of the rom-com. I mean, I know it shouldn't. We should live in a better world than this. Yeah. But 
it is something new and actually exciting and interesting for the rom-com subgenre. Um, Eichner, as a present, I, I quite like, I've always liked, I like to be in Parks and Recreation in particular, because he absolutely stole the show in that. Um, and I'm a huge fan of Billy on the Street. You know, I, I watch all the clips all the time, when he's, usually when he's walking around with someone like John Oliver. It's like, excuse me, do you care about John Oliver? No, cool. Um, I love things like that. Um, Luke McFarlane uh, is a really good foil for him. They, they bounce really well off one another. And a lot of comedy, I think, really lands. I think it's a bit too drawn out. And I don't think it settles into enough of a, a sense of confidence, really. In It feels like it doesn't trust its audience enough to stick with it. And it, it just feels like a sort of compromised vision in that way. Another thing is... Somehow, at an hour and 55 minutes, this thing feels overlong. It feels drawn out. And you almost miss the sensationalism of something like Trainwreck. But at the same time, this does suffer from the same fundamental flaw as Trainwreck, which I think most people refer to as the Grease problem, which is you know, the Olivia Newton-John at the end of Grease thing. Are you really okay with that? Trainwreck did the same thing. This, to a certain extent, does as well. Not so much with Eichner's character. Um... I would argue, I think this is something that would go down really well as a Saturday Night Date movie. I think everyone should see it. I think it's a good time. It bombed in the US, and I think that's a real shame. I think Billy Eichner handled it particularly well with comments made in the press. Um, but I think it's a really good, really charming rom-com. A little bit drawn out, but a good one. Sounds sounds right up my street, actually. I, I mean, there's not many rom-coms that would draw me in quite as much as this, because I just feel with the pure nature of, of the genre of what this is, there's going to be lots of lots of laughs in it, lots of funny bits. Yeah, I, I will also say as well, by the way, I, I obviously have no experience of a lot of the things covered in this movie. I have <laughs> so many questions for friends of mine. Oh, so many questions after watching this. Oh, my well, God. I was yeah. going to say, is there anything that from this movie that us as heterosexuals can learn from? Okay, so much, so so much. Honestly, you you were you're gonna be just taking out your phone, just making notes of questions to ask your gay friends. You you really <laughs> will. I, I know I did. I literally I was texting my, my friend from Screen Magazine and asking. I, I need to ask you questions about like how certain apps and things work because it can't possibly be this insane. He's like, no, no, it, it really is. So um, you've got that to look okay. forward to, Adam. Anyway. Excellent. Um, so, uh, when can people see this? When When's this out? This is in cinemas from today. Bros, starring Billy Eichner. Um, absolutely. I, I, go and see this. Great day movie, I think. Okay, let's move on then. Doctor, who am I? Tell me all about this. So, Doctor, who am I? Which is a documentary about the American fandom of Doctor Who, which has always been a sort of a red-headed stepchild to us as Brits, because obviously we have a, uh, an innate attachment to Doctor Who. It's ours. You know, it's our franchise as yeah. Brits. Uh, and Americans for the longest time didn't have that. Um, there was a brief period when Doctor Who was off the air between 1989 and 2005 in which they did try to launch a new Doctor Who series in America as a co-production between NBC and uh, the BBC. And mm. this chronicles that to an extent and the experience that went into that, the making of it and the toll it took on people, the difficulty in trying to explain Doctor Who to Americans who, for instance, think nothing of making him half human. That was a, a sticking point, for instance, quite famously. This is Paul McGann's Doctor Who we're talking about, if you're not uh, familiar. Um, at the same time, you also get this exploration of just what the American fan base is like. And I mean, to cut a long story short, if you thought our lot were nerdy, boy, you ain't seen nothing till you get to the American. So I'll let you have a listen for yourself. Okay. As I was writing, 
that doctor. I was pouring myself into that character. I was pouring my experience of the doctor as a child and all the wit and all the warmth and all that sort of love that the doctor has of humans. I was pouring into this character and I was loving doing it. I was putting myself on the line there. Would you say that there were as many Americans that were obsessed or are obsessed with Doctor Who as there are in this country? Certainly now, and to be honest, there have to be more American Doctor Who fans because their population dwarfs us so much anyway, that, you know, yeah, statistically speaking. Um, a different era now anyway. And this documentary, believe me, feels quite outdated because, I mean, we're releasing, this comes out, this came out yesterday, I think. On, on Digital Unlimited Theatrical. The same day that it was announced, uh, only a couple of days, within a couple of days, of Mkuti Gachwa uh, on US TV making the announcement that Disney Plus is going to be the home for Doctor Who globally now. So, very different. It, it, this, this documentary gets released in a very, very different world for its subject matter than what it was made in. Having said that, it also feels very much catered to the fans. It feels like a convention experience. It feels like the sort of film that you you see at a convention having been made independently by fans, which it has. And so, so it feels like exactly what it is. It's overindulgent. Again, somehow feels overlong, despite the fact this is 80 minutes long. But you get the impression you could cut this down to about 45 minutes, has it, have it as a BBC documentary, which is, you know, would be saying something. And, and that'll be that. Like I say, fans will will go for it. I've I've got friends who are like completists, Doctor Who collectors, and things like that, who have asked me like, should, uh, this is so this is like nine quid on DVD. I want to buy it for the set. Is it worth it? I'm like, yeah, if you pay nine quid on on DVD for it, like absolutely go for it. In which case, yeah, job done. So you don't have to be a diehard fan to enjoy this. You can just be a Doctor Who fan. Don't have to be diehard, you can just be a Doctor Who fan. I will say that, I mean, Paul McGann was the first Doctor I remember watching when he was new on the scene, because I was about 13 when that happened. I'd been si- I was six when it got cancelled, when it got cancelled during the Sylvester McCoy era. Yeah. Uh, 13 when and Paul McGann first on the scene. He's the first Doctor I remember seeing, like, burst same as me. the scene. Yeah, same as, like, we have kind of Pierce Brosnan as our James Bond in the same kind of way, because he's the one that got unveiled when you were at that age. Um, so yeah. I did get a little bit of a kick out of that, but I am aware that that is quite specific to me because of my age and that experience. But I think to, to the so-called normies of the world, if you're not someone who's into cosplay and things like that, you, you're going to find you, you may scoff and, and find yourself mocking a little bit. Brilliant. Okay, well, that's Doctor Who. Uh, Doctor Who am I? And that it was out yesterday, I think you mentioned at the start of that. So um, there we go. There we have that. And we're going to be back next with a review from Van on Triangle of Sadness and also Barbarian. So stay right where you are. And we are back. So we're sticking with brand new movies out this week. Van, talk to me about Triangle of Sadness. I mean, if I must, I've, I've not been particularly looking forward to discussing <laughs> Triangle of Sadness. I'm perfectly honest, Mr. Ball. Um, right. okay. Listen, there's a, there's a lot of European names in this, so you have to forgive me while I pull up the IMDb page. <laughs> right, so, as far as I understand this, this is the first English-language film from German director Ruben Ostlund. 
And uh, discovering that he's German would make an awful lot of sense having watched the movie. Um, right, to, to describe this using the plot synopsis from IMDb. Okay. A cruise for the super rich sinks, thus leaving survivors, including a fashion model celebrity couple, trapped on an island. Um, yeah, that, that's about it. I would, I would describe it as a bunch of snotty people and influencers on a boat whining for an hour before oh. they then have a sort of a crash and accidentally got bl- get blown up, and then you get pompous Lord of the Flies meets Lost for an hour and a half. But don't just take my word for it. Have a listen to some people whining at a very bored and very understandably drunk Woody Harrelson. I have a question. I'm sorry. Uh, yesterday, I was up on deck. Yes. And it was so beautiful. Everything was fantastic. But then I saw the sails. The sails? The sails, yeah. Oh. Yeah. And they were dirt grey. Hmm. Do you think it's possible to wash them? Well, I don't think that's possible, ma'am, because uh, this is a motorized vessel. Yeah. So we don't have any sails. Maybe it was the, uh, the sun deck roof? What? Are you sure? I'm sure. <laughs> Obviously, that was on the ship before they got dumped on the island, right? Yeah, 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 it was. Um, right, I, I struggled with this. I mean, not the least of which because it is three minutes short of two and a half in two hours long. Um, Harris Dickinson's in it. He's always good value for money, unless it's this, it seems. Uh the late, oh. uh, I think the late Cherie B. Dean uh, plays his uh, his uh, female co-star in this, and they have good sparky energy. She plays an influencer, and he's a fashion model, and they do try to do some kind of satire on this. The problem is, you get the impression that that is the element that uh, Ruben Austin, who incidentally, sorry, Swedish, not German, um, that Ruben Austin thought was his great new original take on the Lord of the Flies concept, and frankly, the material just doesn't justify it. Um, it's very laboured. It is. There's a lot of navel gazing in this. There's moments of quirky absurdity that do make it worthwhile, but they're so few and far between that you will struggle to get there. You're really going to have to tough it out for this. Can I tell you how I see it in my head from how you've described it? I see it, it with them when they they get trapped on the island. Right. I see it as. Um, the typical problems happening with them being stuck on an island and she's chucking her Prada shoes around and a mobile phone that doesn't work because it's got no battery or no signal. Is it that kind of movie? No, what we're talking about is a much more art house driven class based structure. Uh, in which okay. Once everyone's on the island, of course, those with the actual skills to survive would be the people who on the boat were basically the cleaning staff and the janitorial staff and the, the handymen and things like that. And those are the people with power on the island, whereas the rich people are so, you know, pathetic and, and, and you know, feckless and, and devoid of skill and ability. That it's nothing you haven't seen before. There's the great satire to be made in it, and the first, the, the final minute is an absolute corker. The final minute is amazing. Final minute is better than anything else in the preceding two hours and twenty six of them. But you know, you're not like going to tell say, us what happens there. That's though, a lot of minutes. That's going to be a spoiler. No, no, <laughs> no. If, if I had to, if I had to live through that to get to it, so do you. <laughs> Well, that's a fair one. That's it. so. I mean, if it's worth it. 
I was going to say, this isn't a, a first date movie uh, like previous ones we've been speaking about tonight. This sounds uh, no, like no, it's, no, no, no. Yeah, it's the last, this is a last, last date movie. <laughs> right, this is a I'm not going to see you again movie as we, as we separate no. and go home. All right. Yeah, exactly that. So let's move on then and get into the realms of horror now. We're going to talk about Barbarian. Yes, Barbarian, which is a new movie uh, written and directed by Zach Kreger, who's one of the OG, I think they were called the whitest kids you know, comedy troupe from way back in the uh, early noughts, I think. Um, this is best described as an Airbnb horror movie, of all things. I love the sound so of the that. Idea is, I, I, who wouldn't? Because what isn't an Airbnb horror movie when you're actually booking an Airbnb? Uh, this one gets even more depraved as well because there's there's a certain amount of ge geographical significance I can draw on in this movie from recent personal experience. Trust me. So oh. um, this stars a British actress, uh, Georgina Campbell, who plays an American here, and uh, she rents an Airbnb. Uh, she turns up late at night, doesn't get to see the area around it kind of thing, just finds the Airbnb based on the sat-nav, turns up at the door, someone's already in the Airbnb. There's been a double booking. So, of course, you know, like all, you know, Gen Z, sort of, Gen Z to millennial, kind of somewhere in that mid-space in there uh, type, she uh, she and the person who was already in said Airbnb agree to sort of tough the night out together and sort of sort it out in the morning, which, you know, they do. However... This being an Airbnb-based horror movie, all is not as it seems. So I'm going to let Georgina Campbell and her on-screen roommate Bill Skarsgård from It take it away and, and set the sort of the, the tone they're going for with this one. Yeah. I'm sorry. Who are you? What? Who are you? This is Four Seven Six Barbary, right? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. You don't know? No. I don't live here. I'm renting this place. It's the middle of the night. I don't have it at the top of my head, the address. No, I, I'm renting this place. What? Are you, are you sure you have the right place? Yeah, I booked it like a month ago. This is unbelievable. What are we supposed to do? I don't know. I don't know. Why don't you, why don't you come inside and we'll call these idiots? This just sounds like one of those movies that's really predictable to me. Oh, oh, I, I, ah. I don't know what I'm going to do. Where am I going to go? Oh, why don't you? Well, you have to come in here into my spooky B and B that I've rented for a night. Uh, is it not like that? Nope. I'm, I'm, I'm going to absolutely pull the rug from under you now, Mister Ball. This Whoa. thing's brilliant. This thing is so good. It absolutely subverts every kind of expectation you can have. It's a good chiller. I mean, it starts out as a little bit psycho, and then becomes a little bit like Don't Breathe. Then it becomes a little bit like Wrong Turn. It's got Justin Long in it, which automatically gets an extra star from me for any movie. I, I just, I really dug this. Uh, Richard Brake, uh, who I think most people in the mainstream would know as the guy who killed Batman's parents in the Nolan movies, <laughs> um, turns up as one of the many nasty things in this movie. It's just a really dark, nasty, unsettling movie um, that's still got some laughs. It's got loads of surprises. It's a really well-made film. I have to say that about it. Um, the production of it is really well done. The way that it pulls off stylistically, cinematically, narratively, a lot of its bolder moves I think it's just really fun. I, I I thought it was a really strong, really successful entry for Halloween this year. And it's been quite a weak Halloween for horror movies. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, weak, very weak uh, year for Halloween horror movies this year, I think. See, I love watching a horror every now and then. I wouldn't say it's my favourite genre, but every now and then I like that settling down, close the curtain, switch the lights off and get yourself petrified. Is this the sort of movie... I, I love the jumpy movies, right? They're, they work for me. They, you know, they really, yeah. really get your adrenaline running. Is this going to do that? Is it going to make you jump off the sofa? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. But it's yes. By the time we got to the end of this movie, a bunch of us wouldn't leave until the house lights came up because it is one of those movies where people just run at you from behind. And it, it, it's, it's good fun. It's really good fun. Like I say, if you've seen, have you seen Don't Breathe? Yes. Right. If you enjoyed that, the first Don't Breathe, I've never, I've never seen the second one. I have no interest in because it sounds ludicrous. I, I'm sure I'll no, have it at some point now it's on streaming. Um, but if you like Don't Breathe, you're going to love a good section of this. If you remember the original Psycho, you're going to love a good section of this. If you remember Wrong Turn, you're going to love a good section of this. There's something in this to everyone because it really does run the game. If you're a fan of the movie Tusk, you know, in which uh, Justin Long just gets tormented in a basement for a prolonged period of time, you're going to enjoy this as well. There's something for everyone. There's even a bit of silence on the lambs in there there's just something for everyone it's a really oh. really good all-round horror movie for halloween i mean it aims it's a, i'm not sure what age rating this is it's, oh it's an 18 deservedly so it needs to be an 18 this one i was kind of hoping it was um i was gonna and, say yeah after what you've said to me about it i'm quite glad it's an 18 because you wouldn't want anyone younger going to see that would you um but uh, if yeah, I, it if sounds I good to me say the words to it, if i just say the words forced breastfeeding can you vaguely imagine the sort of horror show we're talking about Enough said. Enough said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we'll leave it there. Uh, so thank you for uh, letting us know all about the forced breastfeeding. And uh, we'll be back in a moment with Van's take on American Psycho and The Exorcist, because these are things that are on Freeview that you're able to watch from the comfort of your own sofa. So we'll be back in just a bit. Now it's time for a segment we like to call Off Screen Pays the Bills. Hey, Adam. Hey, Van. What's going on? Hey, nothing going on but the rent. You know how it is. So we're, of course, really happy to thank our sponsors for this episode, the good folks at the official Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power podcast. Go deeper into the canals of Numenor, the mines of Khazad-dûm, and more with the official Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power podcast, in which host Felicia Day and several special guests provide an inside look at the groundbreaking series and what it took to bring the Earth to life. Each episode of the official podcast features exclusive interviews with the series showrunners J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay, including the very first full breakdown of the incredible season finale. Felicia also goes behind the scenes with the cast and crew to bring you jaw-dropping stories and Easter eggs you won't want to miss. So watch The Rings of Power on Prime Video and listen to all eight episodes of the official Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power podcast for free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app now. Okay, so we are keeping you on your couch for this next segment. You do not have to leave the house. You do not have to spend any money. You can sit on your backside and enjoy the next seven movies that we are about to talk about that are all on Freeview. So, uh, American Psycho, film four, 11.05 on Friday. Talk to me about your views of this, because I've, I've seen it a long time ago. One of my favourite ever movies is American Psycho. I think uh, every generation gets 
this this kind of gets this one movie. So I think like uh, for you know people who were in their twenties in the nineteen seventies, they got Taxi Driver. People in the in the nineteen nineties got American Psycho and Fight Club as a double header. And then if you were at that point in twenty nineteen, you got Joker. So obviously these things have diminishing returns. Um, a directed by Mary Harron uh, back in two thousand and the career-defining role. I, I would think without question, it's the career-defining role for Christian Bale. I think more people still refer to Christian Bale as Patrick Bateman than Batman now. And you can find out exactly why when you tune in, if you've never seen it, when you tune in to see the original serial-killing yuppie in his 1980s heyday on Film 4 at 11.05 tonight. I'll tell you what, I'm going to leave it with one of just the, the most iconic scenes in American Psycho. This is the business card scene in which Patrick Bateman, a yuppie, stockbroking serial killer, and his mates sit around a conference table and leer at one another's business cards. Let's see Paul Allen's card. Look at that subtle off-white coloring. The tasteful thickness of it. Oh my god. It even has a watermark. Something wrong? Patrick? You're sweating. I mean, from that, you just run away. Wouldn't I you? love Let's how sexualized that moment is. It's one of those, I watched it back and I was like, I've forgotten <laughs> how absolutely sexualized this business because this taste of it. Oh, fail, honestly, in that movie, career defining. Um, <laughs> on to uh, Saturday night then, and uh, one, I think, you, you mentioned you'd never seen this, is that right? The Exorcist. Oh, I know. I have so many conversations with friends that, that, that might make a reference to The Exorcist, and I'll go, eh, I don't understand, I haven't seen it, and they're like, what? I, I, all I know, if I tell you now, is it was... Uh, in its day, it was huge and it was talked about, and in some places it was bad. Yeah, well, I mean, to be fair, it is still huge and it is still talked about. And, and I say that I spend two days a week in a room with a man, well, the second man to write the book on The Exorcist. Um, BBC Two, Saturday night, eleven fifty-five p.m. It's late for a reason. It's perfect at that hour. This is Halloween weekend. There's a good chance on Saturday night you're going to be stumbling home from the pub round about there. Round about 11.30, kind of, with, with your costume in a slight state of disarray. I know my Captain Jack Sparrow costume will be by that hour. Um, and I think I'll plant myself down the couch and stick on the classic that is The Exorcist, Max von Sydow, Linda Blair. It, it's iconic for a reason. It's one of those movies that even if you've never seen it, you've seen it riffed on and spoofed and satired and satirized and referenced so many times. It's like 2001. You don't need to have seen the movie to have seen the movie. Yeah. You're watching it. I know that bit. Oh, that's where that bit comes from. It's one of those. So 11.55 Saturday night, The Exorcist. Um, one I seriously doubt you've, you've, you've seen, though, given I, I know certain movies you've seen and certain ones you have. I bet folding money you haven't seen this one, Mr. Ball. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch? You're absolutely right. I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> So, 11 o'clock on TCM, on Turner Classic Movies TCM, as it's now called, uh, on Sunday. This is the th this used to be the red-headed stepchild of the Halloween franchise, until, mm, well, the most recent one that's currently in cinemas, and maybe the one before it. But th the whole idea was this is the only one that doesn't feature uh, Michael Myers 
like Michael Myers or The Shape, whatever you call it, does not turn up in this, is a standalone uh, story instead, still produced by John oh. Carpenter and Deborah Hill, uh, directed, written by and directed uh, by Tommy Lee Wallace, who uh, went on to do the 1990 uh, miniseries adaptation of It, I think. You know the Tim Curry one, the, the iconic yes. one that we yeah. had uh, you know, 27 years before they did the, the, the remake, which is very good. Um, this stars Tom Atkins as a, as a small town doctor who finds himself brought into this vast conspiracy by an evil corporation to, I think, use microchips built into Halloween masks triggered by an ident from a kid's jingle on TV that causes everyone's heads to explode and spew, I think it's insects and snakes. Um, there are also androids. It's very weird. Um, it's kind of the On Her Majesty's Secret Service of the Halloween franchise, in that it's nuts when you first see it, but when you look back on it over time, you start to really, really appreciate it. But you know what? what's worth appreciating more than anything, though, is star Tom Atkins, and let's, let's let him have this moment. So you can see this uh, Sunday night, 11 o'clock, TCM. This is what you're in for. Some of this. Dark masks, gather round your TV set, put on your masks, and watch. All witches, all skeletons, all jack-o'-lanterns. The third gather commercial, round, it's still on, please. Watch Take off the third channel, together. the third channel, it's still running. Stop it, please, for God's sake, please stop it. There's no more time. You've got to, please, stop it, stop it now, turn it off. Turn it off. Stop it. 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 Me that. during most Miles Teller movies. <laughs> that music just freaks me out. If I'm quite honest oh, yeah. with you, but I totally get it. I totally get it. Um, all right, on to the on to the next one on Monday. The Mist, film four, nine o'clock. Yeah, Halloween night, right? You got to pick a banger for Halloween night, and I don't think there's I don't think they come any more banging than this. Right? Have you ever seen The Mist? You can guess the answer to that, can't you? It was rhetorical, but okay. 2008 movie from uh, Frank Darabont. Frank Darabont, who used to be the go-to guy for Stephen King adaptations before Mike Flanagan broke out onto the scene and stole his thunder. Uh, Frank Darabont brought, brought us, you know, The Shawshank Redemption, The Green Mile, Hearts in Atlantis, and The Mist. Now, The Mist stars Thomas Jane. Uh, he and his son, uh, I think he's a, he designs movie posters for a living. That's his job in this movie. He lives in a small uh, New England town because he's a character in a Stephen King movie. And he designs movie posters for a living because he's a character in a Stephen King movie. And he, uh, <laughs> he, goes, to, he goes to the local grocery store with his son one day. And as they're in there, the grocery store is bombarded. The whole town is bombarded by a mist. And nobody can see through the mist. And from the mist start to spawn these monsters, these like tentacle evil monsters. So they barricade themselves inside the grocery store with its big glass glass front and its delivery doors at the back. They barricade themselves inside and they have to brave it out and tough it out against these mist-based monsters that are trying against all costs to basically break their way in. It's horrible and violent and sickening. There is a black and white version that is even more disturbing somehow than the actually in color one. It's Vintage King in that it's one of those movies that absolutely proves that human beings can be as as monstrous, if not more, than the actual literal monsters outside their front door. It's, it's a hell of a ride, and it has, oh, top five. Top five. Really? In any movie. Just top five endings. Any movie ever. Even Stephen King has said, because it's different from the book, and even Stephen King right. has turned around and said, do you know what? That's better. 
I like your Are we talking twist here? Are we talking a big twist? I don't really want to get into it. It's sort of. There's, there's a subversion. Not what you think, but okay. oh my god. What a way to end. Just, this movie's worth watching. Just Even if you don't like the movie, tough it out just to get to the ending. Even if you don't like it, you'll prefer the ending if you don't like it, to be honest. Great movie. Just a great movie. Okay, that is The Mist then uh, on Halloween, Monday, 31st of October, film for 9 o'clock. Now, I'm ashamed, I'm really ashamed to tell you that I have, again, not seen this movie we're talking about now. It's on Tuesday, film for 6.55, The Greatest Showman. I mean, I'll be really honest, I only pick The Greatest Show because we talk about it on this show a lot because it's one of those that they just dump onto TV to like fill any old, uh, any old time yeah. slot. And uh, yeah. there was naff all on on Tuesday night. So, you know, I figure it's November 1st. They just didn't know what the mood was going to be the day after Halloween. I don't know why they didn't just stick the crow on like like a normal person. But, uh, yeah, okay, so The Greatest Showman, it's a banging musical. It's the role Hugh Jackman was born to play. Uh, deserved, uh, I, I deserved Best Original Song for uh, is it This Is Me. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Banging track. Uh, if you've never seen it, honestly, you should watch this with Albert. You'd absolutely love it. You'd have a great time, you know. See, I'll tell you that my problem with, with films like this, when they're musicals, mm. I just have an issue where it's a, it's, a, it's a movie that you're watching and you're getting absorbed into, and then suddenly they burst out into song. I just can't connect the two. Yeah, but these are really, really good songs, and it's got Zac Efron's and Dyer and Hugh Jackman, and they're so good. I mean, yeah, Mamma Mia was meant to be good. Sure. It was ABBA songs, but how did that pan out? To be fair, none of those people could sing in most of those places. <laughs> but not, not none. Not none. Pierce Brosnan couldn't sing. I don't think Colin Firth can either. Anyway, uh, really quickly, let me really quickly just mention that uh, the remake of Papillon, starring Charlie Hunnam and uh, Rami Malek, that is on Paramount on Wednesday night at 9pm. But the reason... Uh, it, it, it's pretty decent. It's a decent remake. It can't live up to the original, obviously, but what yeah. could? Steve McQueen, Dustin Hoffman in the original. You can't top that with the guy from Sons of Anarchy and Mr. Robot. You know what I mean? They do a good enough job, though. However, I'm skipping over that because I really want to tell you with the last minute we have, Adam, I want to tell you about Crank on ITV4 at 10.15 on Thursday night. Have you seen Crank, sir? No, no. I have Literally, I know nothing about this. So you're going to have to start at the beginning no. very quickly. Good news. You are going to wind up seeing Crank when I tell you about this. Okay. Crank is a movie from 2006 that stars Jason Statham as a hitman named Chev Chelios. Chev Chelios, prior to the events of the movie, has killed a rival mob boss, the enemy of the mob boss he works for. And uh, the mob boss he has killed, a man named Don Kim, um, gets his sort of revenge when his henchman turns up to Chev Chelios' place in the middle of the night and poisons him with an experimental Chinese neurotoxin. Uh, a neurotoxin that starts to shut down his body and will kill him within one hour. However, Chev Chelios, being Jason Statham, therefore the smartest action hero in the universe, quickly realizes that he can avoid this by keeping his heart rate above a certain level. And so Chev Chelios runs across LA. In, bear in mind, this, is, this, is, this was before the endless runner craze of the early smartphones, you know, your, your temple runner and things like that. And yeah. has to keep his adrenaline up at all costs. It's absolutely wild. Think of all the insane things you would do to try and keep your heart rate up. And this does include public sex. It's absolutely deranged. Just to give you a sense of the vibe, have a listen to Chev Chelios being told his number's up. I just kill you. <clears throat> you try not to embarrass yourself. Candy camera. Oh, is it 
right here I gave you. This is some high-tech sci-fi Chinese ooh, synthetic on exactly what the is this dude. All I know is that once this has binded with your blood cells, you baby and believe me, it's dumb binded. Yeah, you got yourself about an hour max. TikTok. It's been real. You probably should that twice before you whack Duncan. It's a bit like speed, but a bit harder to see how it's going to end. Speed, but with a human body. And there is a sequel. The, the, the ending of the first one will really confuse you, but there is a sequel. And in the sequel, he has an artificial heart that he has to keep electrocuted or he dies. <laughs> no, not only not only that, I mean, it's worth noting. First of all, Chester, the late great Chester Bennington from Linkin Park turns up in both these movies. And the sequel includes Jerry Hallowell cameoing as Jason Statham's mum. That is a thing that actually happened. Absolutely amazing. I wonder if she was happy with that phone call. Would you like to play Jason Statham's mum? Clearly she was if she did it. Um, brilliant. Crank then, ITV4, 10.15 on Thursday. So we are going to be back in just a bit looking at some of the new movies available this week on disc and digital, including Maverick. And welcome back then for one last ride as we come to the end of the show. We are going to be looking now at new movies that are available this week on disc and digital. In a moment, Top Gun is in this list somewhere, so stay right where you are. But where are we going to start, Van? You only got out of bed today to talk about yep. Top Gun Maverick. But yes, that's your thing for most days is, do I get to talk about Top Gun Maverick today? Um, we're going to start, though, with uh, a movie I've been looking forward to. I really am looking forward to watching this, actually. Uh, Wendell and Wilde, which is the combination of two talents I do, I, I really adore. Uh, the combination of Henry Selleck and Jordan Peele. Henry Selleck is the man who was robbed of his work directing uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas, famously, because they instead slapped Tim Burton's name all over it. And for some reason, people think that Tim Burton made that movie. Tim Burton did not make The Nightmare Before Christmas. Tim Burton's art department made The Nightmare Before Christmas. However, you know, Henry Selleck has gone on to bigger and better things in years since, including Coraline. And now this, which is coming to Netflix today, Wendland Wild, which is uh, perfect timing for Halloween, is about a young girl who finds herself uh, manipulated by two ghouls from another dimension, voiced by Key and Peele. So Jordan Peele and his former sketch partner, uh, Keegan-Michael Key, they are reteaming. So Key and Peele are back together for a movie. Brilliant. The first movie, I think, since uh, Keanu a few years ago. They are the Beetlejuice-like figures who are trying to manipulate this young green-haired girl into uh, letting them loose upon the world. So on Netflix from today, here's a clip. I know what you are, Cat. You're a hell maiden. But it has to be our secret. That's how I can protect you. Protect me from what? Your demons. Okay, so that's available on Netflix from Friday, right? Yeah, from today. So from, from today oh, from today. Uh, on yeah. um, also on Netflix from today as well is uh, the, I think it's the Daniel Brühl-led remake of All Quiet on the Western Front. And over on digital, uh, on digital, on Disney Plus uh, from today, you can find the second best exotic Marigold Hotel. I've not seen the remake of All Quiet on the Western Front. I have seen 
the second best exotic marigold hotel, and I can confirm it is in fact the second best exotic marigold hotel. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because it's just not not as good as the first. It's perfectly charming enough. It's just not as good as the first. You know, it's one of those movies that you, you felt like was a one and done, but it made so much of, of what Bex used to refer to as the grey pound that uh, they, they just kind of thought they had to do a sequel, which is fair enough. And speaking of sequels that they just absolutely felt like they had to do, um, Monday, the 31st of October, 2022, a.k.a. <sighs> Halloween Night, is also, and this is on digital already, I think it's on Sky Cinema, and I think it's on uh, Paramount Plus as well, uh, yeah. but it's coming to DVD, it's coming to Blu-ray, it's coming to 4K slash UHD, so you can watch this now in literally every format, and being on 4K UHD means technically you can now watch it in the highest possible spec. Um, Top Gun Maverick is finally upon us, sir. Uh, I know you've been excited to see this again. Have you seen it? Since since it was on theatrical, have you seen it again? Uh, I've seen it once. I haven't yet seen it again. I wanted to leave a decent gap between the two viewings. It's Christmas for me. I always leave the big movies of the year yeah. for, for Christmas for the rewatch. So come, like, when, when I'm sat around my family's house at Christmas kind of thing and I have, like, two or three days to kill, I always whack the, uh, you know, if I've not got any Oscar screeners to watch, I will go through the big movies of the year. So I watch a lot of, like, you know, whatever the superior movie was that was out in the summer and it's like, Top Gun Maverick is getting watched this year. And, oh, my God, what a sequel. Am I right? Hundred percent. I mean, I'm I, as you know, I, I, Top Gun was and has always been my number one movie from the eighties. I, I watched it from the age of six or seven, <laughs> a, a million times. I could not wait for this, and thanks to the pandemic, we obviously had to wait and wait and wait, and eventually it got there, and it blew my mind. I absolutely loved it. I loved the fact that they focused on the emotional side of things a little bit more than maybe Top Top Gun did. I only have one slight qualm with this, and I think I told you about this, and your reaction was LOL. Now, yeah. my qualm was, I didn't feel... Uh, I suppose it's, they, they left you wanting more for, for this reason, but the, yeah. I didn't feel there was enough air-to-air fighting going on. I felt I wanted more of that. The really strange thing for me, I mean, we'll, we'll play the clip in a moment because you've got to play a clip of Top Gun. It's so yes. Um the, the strange thing about Top Gun Maverick is it's hands, it's hands down, academically, straight up, a better movie. Full stop yeah, yeah. than the original Top Gun. Like Narratively, it works better. Um, if you stop and think about it and start working out certain age gaps and differences and things like that, the movie doesn't make a whole heap of sense. And Miles Teller's mustache is an offensive crime against cinema itself. But uh, the movie itself is really good. And I actually think the way that the air combat stuff is integrated into the narrative in this one, even though it's kind of more simplistic than the original, makes more sense. It works better. It's a more streamlined effort. But you know what? Have a listen for yourself. Have a listen to, in my opinion, I think the last great movie star himself, Tom Cruise, in a movie about why Tom Cruise is the last great movie star. This mission is going to take you and your aircraft to the breaking point. Your skull crushing your spine. Your lungs imploding. Fighting just to keep from blacking out. Here we go. No turning back now. Smoke in the air! Smoke in the air! Hang on! 
Can I just say, I hope I'm not the only person that watched this movie and got a little bit confused with the Admiral's daughter part of it. Mm-hmm. No, no, she's mentioned in the original Top Gun. She's mentioned. No, she was mentioned, the... but I didn't realise who she was in this movie oh. until at the end, and I went, "Oh, it's the Admiral's daughter." I see. I, I'm really, I'm really going to screw with you now and tell you that if you take Jennifer Connelly's age, subtract the number of years between Top Gun Maverick and the original Top Gun, well, she no. would have been about twelve. Oh. Just a thought. Oh. <laughs> anyway. Ouch. Yeah, that's a bit weird. They didn't plan that one very well, did they? But, um, yeah, they didn't really think that this, one yeah. Pleased to say, this is out on DVD, Blu-ray. Um, just brilliant. And Monday, Halloween night, why would you not want to watch this? Well, I mean, un- unless you're going out scaring. But you know what? There's always people who might be doing that Barney Stinson thing of going out as Tom Cruise in Top Gun. <laughs> the boondocks playing Danger Zone. And uh, why not? I've got, of course. Yeah, I, I figure, you know, we, we could go out as wingmen together, so you and I will go out as, as Goose and Maverick, you and I. One, one of us large. will have to do this stuff. One, one of us will have to. Well, I mean, I'll go as Cruise then. I'm the little one. I'll make sense. You'll have to just do <laughs> yes. the stash. Like, yeah. um, anyway, on to uh, Wednesday then on Disney Plus. See How They Run, which uh, was only out relatively recently. Starred uh, Sam Rockwell, Saoirse Ronan, all star cast. Um, there was, you know, there's a murder at the theatre. And. It's, it's all right. Like I say, it's going to work better for the older crowd, I think. It's for people who, I think, might think that Knives Out is a Knives Out and its, its upcoming sequel are a bit edgy. If you, think, if you think Knives Out is a bit edgy and you would rather it was sort of butter Knives Out, see, see how they run. <laughs> uh, see, I, I, I've never seen it. I have no idea, idea anything. I've not even seen a trailer for it. Mm. So I don't even know where we'd, you know what it's about, where it starts. It's a period piece London set. I think it's like a yeah, oh, I'd be bored of that then. Yeah, murder set around uh, the production of uh, Agatha Christie's The Mousetrap. Right, um, but like I say, this moments are fun, and, and I got to meet Stanley Tucci at the screening, which was awesome. Who doesn't oh. want to meet the Tucci? Now he is a legend. I've interviewed him before on, on my show. He is an yeah. absolute. He's brilliant. So funny. Every, awesome. every other word makes you laugh with him. So um, that's good. All right. Well, we're almost at the end uh, of this week. Um, but before we disappear, we've got to talk about uh, what we're looking at next week. So Watcher, uh, Living. Watcher, uh, Watcher, I don't know that much about that. I, I know that it stars Micah Monroe and it's a horror movie. Living, though, is one that stars Bill Nye and is set in Britain in, 1940, in the 1940s. And I can tell you... There's going to be a lot of sobbing in cinemas next week. Okay. Well, we've got all of those to come. Uh, Call Jane, Enola Holmes 2, and we'll be looking at Weird as well. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting one. So all of those to come uh, and more next week on Off Screen. Until then, I've been Adam Ball. I've been Van Connor, and we shall return. <laughs>